0: Mission House and to be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you. Uh, I just celebrate um, the work of Pastor Tony and Pastor Anthony and your leadership. Uh, You have great leaders here. Amen? Amen. Uh, You already know that, but I just want to repeat it in your hearing. Uh, You have some fantastic uh, leaders and uh, and I have uh, been able to see from afar and then at times when I've been able to come back uh, to, to say to you that um, the work you're doing is making a kingdom impact. Amen? And uh, you may not always be able to see it, but uh, I'm a witness that it is, it is making an impact. Uh, you, you already know you've been in a series called Origins on uh, the weekends, and then you've been in the Book of Acts on Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights, with your labs. And uh, what I want to do today is kind of stay in that vein. I want to stay in the Book of Acts, if you don't mind, and, and dig in a little bit. Uh, there's some things that I'm going to cover today that you've probably at some level already talked about, but I, I want to I uh, pray that you kind of see it with fresh eyes. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. And uh, there's something I believe God wants to deposit in your spirit, and then next week, hopefully, uh, some of the things will be shared. Uh, we'll be able to encourage you and to to challenge you and to spur you on towards good things. Amen? Um, But let me start with a a personal story. So when I was in uh, middle school, I was actually just going into middle school. My grandfather invited our, um, asked my parents to bring me and my brother over to their home. Uh, And um, I didn't realize that he had actually invited all the grandchildren. And all of us showed up at the home. We had no idea what he was doing. Uh, But we found ourselves at some point, he would take us around the land. Now this uh, my grandparents were people who had Sunday dinners. Come on, say amen, somebody. If you've ever seen the, the movie Soul Food, and, and you know what I'm talking about, that was my grandpa's house, right? Every every Sunday, I mean, there would be 30, 40 people uh, at the house, and so uh, they loved on people through food. He was a farmer, she worked in the cafeteria at, local, at a local school, and so uh, that was their way of ministering to people. And so my grandfather took us out and we got a private tour. I had my private tour with him where he walked around the the farmland he showed me where things were how they grew he, he said several things to me I don't remember everything but I remember a couple things one I remember is I remember him saying he loved me I, I remembered him uh, uh, I, I remembered him laying his weathered uh, wrinkled calloused hands on my forehead and giving me him, his blessing and then I remember him saying you have a calling on your life Those words mark my life and my ministry uh, ever since. A few minutes later, we're sitting on the carport with all the children. I look over, glance at my grandfather. He's resting. And all of a sudden, I see him uh, give this long breath. And there was kind of this peace that filled the carport uh, until my aunt walked out the door and recognized what had happened. Uh, My grandfather Pillar of faith, the person who never was ordained to preach, he ne- he never was licensed uh, to to preach the gospel, but people would call on him regularly just to pray. He's the kind of person that when he prayed, it felt like heaven moved. Yo, y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? That 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 patriarch died, right, right in front of me. And, and I, I know there was so much I could remember about what he had done for us and so much I could say about the, the meaning of that blessing, like almost like Abraham praying over his sons, like, like Isaac praying over his, like Jacob praying over his, where he gave me his blessing. But there, uh, there's one thing I want to mention to you today that I'll never forget. I got the privilege of hearing a few of my grandfather's last words. Last, last words are important. Last words are significant. Last words are supposed to, to leave an a, a imprint on your heart, an imprint on your life that, that it would echo long after the person has passed. Those words I found uh, even as I was praying about, uh, about this message, I found them to resonate in my spirit once again. If you only had five minutes left with the people you love the most in your life, what would you say? Oh, oh, you give it some thought. Oh, oh, you'd want those words to matter. You, you, you would not mince words. You would want them to be clear because last words, last words are significant. For my grandfather, it was about faith. It was about family. It was about leaving a legacy. And so he gathered. He knew what was coming. He gathered all of us around him, and he spoke into our lives. And then like Simeon, <laughs> he, he. Having done what he felt like he was supposed to do. If you think about some uh, famous last words of people in our lives, here are just a few of the famous last words. Todd Beamer from uh, Flight 93 on September the 11th who thwarted a terror attack and the plane went down in a field in Pennsylvania says, Are you guys ready? Let's roll. Uh, Lucy Stone, abolitionist and suffragist, says, uh, make the world better. Uh, Karl Marx, interestingly, one of the founders of communism, said, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Now, that tells you a lot about Karl Marx. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, um, uh, uh, artist, said, I have offended God and mankind because my work has not reached the quality it should have. Da Vinci said that. Bob Marley, musician and activist, said, money can't buy life. Edgar Allan Poe, author, said, Lord, help my poor soul. Last, last words. For many years, I've talked about passages like John 19 and Luke 23 that are often referred to as Jesus' last sayings from the cross. And, and oftentimes in preparation for Holy Week or Easter, we, we preach on these particular uh, passages. But you may be surprised to know that technically those were not Jesus' last words. After his gruesome death on a cross, Jesus is raised from the dead on the third day. Somebody shout, he rose. Yeah, he got up (laughs) with all power in his hands. But here's the thing, like, he didn't just ascend into heaven. The Bible says that he walked among them for 40 days. He showed himself to be alive, and he, he performed miracles, and he spoke some words Into his disciples, much like my grandfather spoke into me before he left. He said things like all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go. Somebody shout go. Go "Go and make disciples of all nations. Or in John 20 when he he shows himself the, uh, the Thomas right before then, he says as the father has sent. Somebody shout sent. As a father has sent me, so I am sending you. Or or Mark 16, 15, when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all. Somebody shout all. All, all creation. Now the last time I checked, all still means what? It still means all. <laughs> But if I had to choose one, this is one of my passages, my life verses. If I had to choose one, it, it, it really embeds me into the work that I'm called to do. I, I would go to Acts chapter 1, and I would camp out around uh, verse 6. Watch what it says here. Now, we know that, that the same person who uh, is credited with writing the book of Luke is also credited with writing the book of Acts. Uh, some would refer to him as a as a, um uh, a physician or as a doctor. Others would say he's a historian, but regardless of where you stand, he, he writes uh, this narrative, somebody shout narrative, this narrative that helps us to understand uh, how the, the New Testament church was birthed, what, what happens in the lives of the early apostles. And it says this around verse 6 of chapter 1, then, somebody shout then, so they have all gathered around Jesus and they're asking him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But somebody shout, but, but. I love these kinds of butts in scriptures, but you will receive power. Somebody shout power, power. Oh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? You will be my what yes. witnesses where in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Watch this. After he said this, after he said this, what happens? He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus' last words. Not mine. Um, not, not my grandfather's. Um, not Pastor Anthony's. Not Pastor Tony's. Uh, Jesus' Jesus's last words. Now, if they're Jesus' last words, you they got to be pretty important. If they're Jesus' last words, you, you know they got to be pretty significant. So um, as, as you think about this passage, uh, people like Ed Stetzer say, uh, who is an author and missiologist, he suggests that we're given four things in this passage and others like it that help us to understand the, the, the content of Jesus' last words. Number one, we are sent. Somebody shout sent. Yeah, I know that it's central to Mission House's DNA to, to be sent ones. Like 40 times in the book of John alone, it refers to us being sent from Abram's wanderings to to, to to a place far from his home, to Joseph being sent to the land of Egypt, from Ruth leaving Bethlehem, to Christ himself. It's hard to find anyone of significant influence in Scripture who is not first called to leave someone or to leave some place behind in order to become all that God intended for them to be. We are to be sent. Somebody shout sent. Watch this now. We're not just sent though. We're sent to different groups of people. Genesis 11 gets reversed in Acts 2 and Jesus tells his disciples to go to every nation, to every tongue, to every people group. We see here that this is not, watch this, this is not just a diversity issue for Jesus. This is not just a diversity issue for Jesus. This is an issue of discipleship. For Jesus, this is an issue of discipleship. It is an issue of multiplication. And so it should be the same for us. It's not just diversity, different groups of people. It's discipleship. And then third, we're set the different groups of people with a clear message and mission. Clear message. Repent. Believe Jesus. Follow his teachings. Love God. Love people. Make, multiplied disciples. Our job description is really simple when you think about it. Right. It doesn't matter where you do it, like whether you're a teacher, whether you're a contractor, whether you're a homeschool mom, whether whether you're somebody that works or uh, that drives trucks, or whether you're a pastor. All of us have been given a simple job description: go and do that, be that, wherever I've sent you. But we're not just sent. We're not just sent with the different groups of people. We're not just sent with a clear mission and message, but we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That the only way, the only way that we're able to do this, unless the Holy Spirit guides us, unless the Holy Spirit empowers us. I say to people all the time, like, if you want me to stand up and say something to you on a Sunday morning, I don't have anything for you. <laughs> Nothing. Like, not a thing. Like, I, I don't have anything. You don't want me to speak. What you want is for the Holy Spirit to speak through me that the power of God might be revealed, that a message might shine a light in a dark place of your heart. If I speak, you don't get anything. But if the Holy Spirit speaks, power comes through his word. Power comes through his presence. And so Ed Steser goes on to say that rediscovering the mission and the principles of missiology are key theological constructs we need in a new era and time we are in. So in Jesus's, watch this, in Jesus's last words is a message and a mission that given at just the right moment, at just the right moment, can spark a movement. A message given at just the right moment, it can spark a movement. And we are evidence of that reality. The movement continues. (laughs) It started over 2,000 years ago. He empowered some people, told them to go to different groups of people with a clear mission and message, and we are the products of that movement. But watch this. I want to walk you through the first Like just briefly, a few things about what you've been studying in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And there are a lot of things that we can like be excited about and celebrate about the early church and what it was able to accomplish. But then there's some things that are not so positive. There's some things that are not so good about the early church that that they were still learning. They were still growing and they missed some things as they matured uh, as as believers. And so and then I'll close at the end with three characteristics that I believe are encompassed uh, in Mission House and is a part of your DNA that I want to encourage you to continue to do and to get better at and continue to allow God uh, to manifest. But watch this now in Acts 1 8 we get the blueprint of living sin. But here's the problem. If these were Jesus' last words, why did they stay? If, if, if these, all authority on heaven and earth have been given, me, given to you, go make disciples of all, of all nations. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Go preach this gospel to all creation. If these were Jesus' last words, why why would they stay? Or maybe a better question is, why do we? Why do we stay? Um, <laughs> I I love uh, the fact that um, my wife, you know, she she once invited me to, to um, go over to her her parents' house for um, a celebration they were having over Christmas, and uh, and it you know she alerted me to the fact we got to take some gifts, and so um, we go get some gifts, and we go over there, and they have gifts for us. We exchange gifts and everything, and so. Um, she's opening her gift. I think she knows what it is. I think they told her what it was. And uh, we have the same size box. She's opening the gift. I'm like, okay, I'm going to open mine too. I want to be surprised or whatever. And then I open the box and, and it says something I'll never forget. It says <laughs> Snuggie. Uh-huh. Yes. Now, I'm a 230-pound <laughs> manly man. And there's something about the word snuggy. It just doesn't fit me. It just uh, it just doesn't fit me. And so you do what you're supposed to do. I hug them and say, thank you very much. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do with this? And so I take that box home. My wife takes her. She puts it on. She tries it on. She's like, don't you love it? I'm like, oh. I take my Snuggie box, and I put that thing in the garage <laughs> up on the top shelf. I mean the shelf that nobody goes to <laughs> unless you're moving. <laughs> and that thing is collecting dust. It's collecting cobwebs, you know. Until one cold, (laughs) brisk evening, I'm downstairs watching the game, and I'm looking around for like some blankets, and the kids are taking everything upstairs, and I'm like, I ain't got nothing to put over my toes or nothing right now, and then I remembered Snuggie! Oh, boy, I tiptoed in that garage because everybody was sleeping. I reached up on that top shelf. I slid that thing off. I took it out of the box, and I slid my arms in that thing. It is nothing but a robe turned backwards. That's all it is. But you know what? That thing's got pockets in the front. I put my remote in there. I got my snacks in there. I am so comfortable. And then my wife come downstairs. Oh gosh, I gotta take it off, and I'm like, oh, I ain't taking this thing off. I am too comfortable. Oh. And she says, "Uh, I see you rocking the snuggie." I said, "Yeah, it's all good around right right here. You know what I'm saying?" <laughs> but here's my point. I think sometimes, I think sometimes we think a life with Jesus is a life in a snuggie. I th- I think sometimes we we believe. That everything's just supposed to be the right temperature, that we're supposed to always have all the resources, that we always supposed to feel prepared, that everybody's gonna like us. Like we we think that walking with Jesus is supposed to be a life and a snugginess. Somehow, if it's not not a snuggy life, that there's something wrong with God. But the reality is a walk with Jesus is never. Never like a Snuggie. When you look at the book of Acts and you look at what the early disciples and the apostles went through, and you look even now at what's going on, the persecution that's breaking out all over the world as revival is breaking out, walking with Jesus is never like a Snuggie. And so you and I, we have to be willing to be pulled out of our comfort zone and understand that we have to go after people that don't look like you, that don't think like you, that don't vote like you. Because the Great Commission is about us being sent to different groups of people with a clear mission and message empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I says I don't think that's the only reason why we don't go. I think sometimes it's because we, we we don't like to be uncomfortable. I think the second reason why we don't go is because sometimes we have the wrong mindset. We have the wrong we have the wrong paradigm. And that's really where I wanna go for the rest of the rest of our message. Have have any of you in the room ever like enjoyed watching ESPN's top 10. Anybody in the room? Uh, The top 10 is like, um, you know, think about like David Letterman, those of you who got a little age on you, you know David Letterman's top 10. Like there's something about the top 10, like it's, it's, it's exciting, right? And with the ESPN's top 10, it's when people make good plays. It's when they do things that are amazing, like a big catch or a dunk or whatever. That's a top play. But then there's the not so top 10. The not-so-top-ten that usually comes out on Friday is the bloopers. It's the errors. It's when people mess up. And so what I want to give you is eight things that the early church did right, The you know, kind of their top ten. And then I want to give you five things that were kind of like the bloopers, the, the mistakes they made. And then I want us to try to find a way that we can learn from what they did well, and then we can learn from the, the mistakes that they made. So here are the, a few things that they did well in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, they had the patience and obedience to wait for the Holy Spirit as as Jesus instructed right? Um, At Pentecost, they experienced the miraculous, right? Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 come to Jesus. Uh, Daily, they devoted themselves to prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the apostles' teaching. That's why you have lab. It's because you want to daily immerse yourself in the word of God and and the teaching that Jesus gave. They perform miraculous signs and wonders. Like, what I've learned is, when the word of God is preached and people receive the word, miracles are supposed to happen. When the word of God is preached, and people people receive it, healing happens. Are you with me? And so you got to believe and trust that when the word of God is being proclaimed, stuff is supposed to break out. Oh, it might be in you. It might be in somebody else. Uh, the Lord then added. Somebody shall add it. He added to their number daily, like over and over. More and more people were coming to the faith. And then they pooled their resources where there were no there was no needy person among them. The early church in Jerusalem got some things right. They got some things right. And we celebrate what they did, but here's where they missed it. After exp- exponential growth on the day of Pentecost, they focused inward and not outward. Now, it should, uh, it should have never been an either or. It should have been a both and. You're supposed to focus inward and outward. But we, we shouldn't judge them too harshly. Because imagine imagine that, that last Sunday, and I, I saw how the Holy Spirit moved. Imagine last Sunday when the Holy Spirit was moving. Imagine that the, that the membership of Mission House quadrupled. Imagine, imagine if 200 people came to faith uh, last week. Like you, you would be excited. Like you would be saying hallelujah. Like, like you would be off the. I mean, Pastor Tony, Pastor Anthony would be excited. If, if nobody else would be excited, they would be right. Like the reality is. But then you start thinking, like, where, where two hundred and forty people gonna go? Do we have enough parking? Do we have enough seats? Do we have enough coffee? Um, do we have do we have enough people to lead child care and youth ministry? Like like now we got to now you got now you try to manage what the Holy Spirit has done. Like that's what happened to them. They try they got caught up with all of the explosive growth and they focused inward. When God said focus inward and outward, yeah, disciple people, yeah, love people, but you got to keep going because what I've called you to do is not just for here, but they. They focused inward. And then secondly, they didn't leave Jerusalem. They stayed in one general geographical location. Um, uh, They had a singular focus on just Jews, one group of people, the people they knew, the people they could identify with. They thought that the gospel was for only them then Jerusalem leaders were so critical of anyone who shared the gospel with a gentile anybody that was not like them and and somebody shared the gospel with them they would criticize them as a matter of fact Peter who the person who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3000 people gave their life to Jesus um that that Peter shares the gospel with a guy by the name of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and and the Holy Spirit falls and they're baptized and Peter comes back to tell this story to the to the other apostles and they cross examine him like he's in a courtroom like who are you to baptize a gentile and Peter says the Holy Spirit fell on them like they did on us. Who am I to judge? Yeah. Ah, they got it they got that wrong. But then this last thing I'ma say is something I, I just picked up this past year that I've missed in the past. They didn't they didn't affirm Paul's calling. Watch what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, after Paul's conversion. When he came to Jerusalem, talking about Paul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. They felt like, watch this, they felt like Paul's past disqualified him. And honestly, they didn't trust him. Um, I remember, can I just be honest? I remember being in, in, in predominantly black churches, and talking about multi-ethnic ministry and talking about reaching our community and folk basically saying in so many words, we don't trust them. And I'm thinking to myself, how are they going to feel welcome if you don't trust them? Now, I understand why (laughs) (laughs) you might not trust, but you are sent to different groups of people with a clear mission and message, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're gonna have to get beyond your feelings and focus on your faith. Is anybody getting this? Because there are reasons why we don't trust folk, there are reasons why folk don't trust us. There always be reasons why we shouldn't trust and why we shouldn't love. But our gospel, this gospel that 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 Jesus died for, the lives that he died for, is beyond. Some of that. Now, it doesn't mean that those things aren't important. It doesn't mean that they don't matter. It just means that our gospel is bigger. It's bigger than that. And so our culture uh, pushes us uh, towards comfort and conditions us to make the church a spiritual club for, for the elite, not a trans uh, training and sending center for the broken who have become healed. Now, let me say this. Don't let your church uh, become a cul-de-sac in God's Great Commission Highway. I'm going to say that again because that's really important. Like, don't let this church become a cul-de-sac in God's great commission highway. Don't let your heart become a cul-de-sac. Now, we got to be careful, like in this text, uh, because... They they didn't they didn't affirm Paul. They saw his ministry as not important. He became invisible to him, to them. And as a matter of fact, you don't hear very much about Paul again until Acts chapter 11, which is the verse we're going to be dealing with in just a moment. Um, So I want to say to you, man, sometimes we miss the blessing of God because we overlook the people God is raising up among us. Like, we miss the blessing of the relationship because we're so consumed with somebody else when God might be raising up a Paul of our generation. Now, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you if you don't know who Paul becomes. Paul becomes the greatest apostle, uh, the greatest leader in the early church. He writes more books in the New Testament than any other apostle, all, more than the, all the disciples combined, and they're not even affirming his gifts. They're not even affirming his calling in Jerusalem because they're afraid. And fear left unchecked will destroy a local church. Fear left unchecked will destroy you. It will destroy me. Now, I'm certainly not saying that the church in Jerusalem was a failure by any means, but it seems they missed part of Jesus's message and their intended mission. His last words aren't just for some of us, but his last words are for all of us. uh, Philip seems to get it when he goes to the Samaritans. He seems to get it when he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And Mission House is a church that is trying to live out of these principles. But I sense as you go forward that, that God is calling you even to more. Somebody shout more. So let me try to describe it this way. There's a big difference between a lake and a river. Um, we spent, uh, let me just talk about it from a lake and an ocean standpoint first. So we spent four years in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We were we were on staff at a, a pretty large multi-ethnic church up there, and um, there was Lake Michigan. And lake Michigan is beautiful. I mean, you don't have to worry about salt water. Come on, say amen, somebody. I mean, and, and up there, it hardly ever gets above 90. Come on, say amen. I mean, it was beautiful. Now, the winters are hard. The winters are hard. Like, I never got used to the snow. But man, the spring and the summer is beautiful, but there's a big difference between Lake Michigan and the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, they're they different. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Like one has salt water, one has fresh water. There's different kind of marine life. But if you stand on the shore of Lake Michigan and you stand on the shore of the Atlantic Ocean down at Myrtle Beach, they look similar, but they're different. And there's a big difference between a lake and a river. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we have one mentality and not the other. Watch this. See, a lake, somebody shout lake, A lake is a large freestanding body of water that is usually self-contained or is enclosed by land. Uh, It moves only when the wind moves it, only when some external force moves it. They're beautiful. Lakes are beautiful. Lake Michigan is beautiful, but it's limited. Now, river. Somebody shout river. The difference between a lake and a river is water movement. Somebody shout movement. Now, if you notice, a river, it basically moves along its outer banks. Rivers are usually uh, flowing in one direction. They bring fresh nutrients uh, to trees, to animals, to people that it comes in contact with. I love uh, one of the first scriptures I I learned when I was a little boy. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he or she will be like a, a tree planted. Planted by the rivers of living water, whose leaves do not wither, and whatsoever he or she does prospers. Rivers. Somebody shout, rivers. Now, can I be honest? Often our churches and as believers, we can have a lake mentality. Everybody come to us. Everything's about us. Our time, our talent, our treasure spent on us. Uh, somebody shout, us. And although uh, lakes are beautiful and lakes are large, uh, the, the reality is they can become stagnant. They can become disconnected. That doesn't seem to be the case of what Jesus is saying with his last his last words. Let me say it this way, uh, make it a little bit more practical. Uh, James Meeks, pastor, um, shares a story about a guy by the name of Will. Somebody shout Will. Uh, Will was a fisherman. I mean, Will had all the equipment. I mean, and Will invited uh uh, Pastor Meeks over to his house and said, you don't have to bring anything, just come. We're going to go fishing. Anybody like to fish in here? Anybody like to cast a line, get you a net? We're going to talk about that next week. And so uh, he, he, he he goes to Will's house, and Will's got everything laid out. He's got the stuff that you walk out into the water. You don't even have to have a boat. Are you with me? And then he's got the thing that you put up under the boat that tells you what kind of fish are in the water. I mean, Will had the lures. Will had the rods. Will had the blade. Like, Will had everything. And so they're walking through the living room on their way to the truck to go fishing. And Will says, wait a minute, stop for a second, have a seat. And he tells Pastor Meeks to sit down. He sits down, Will sits next to him. Will takes one of the rods and casts a line across the living room into an aquarium. <laughs> and catches a fish and pulls it out. And says, hey man, this fun, ain't it? <sighs> Pastor Meeks said, Will... I hate to be the one to bear the, the, the bad news to you, but dumb fish already caught. Wow. Anybody get where I'm going? Dump, Dump, Will? Somebody already caught dumb fish. And I think if we're not careful, Sunday mornings, midweek services, we can laugh at Will. But the reality is sometimes if we're not careful, we're doing the same thing. When we're supposed to live sent to different groups of people with a clear mission and message, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and seemingly what we do on Sundays is casting a line across the living room into an aquarium of people we see every week over and over and over again. You and I, we have to live out not just Acts 1-8, but we have to understand that when we don't, God will send something to make us move. And so God sends persecution in Acts 7, and they are sent out in Acts 8-1. They don't respond to God going until they are experiencing persecution. Is anybody getting this? Like, what is it going to take for you to go? What is it going to take for you to share the gospel with your people at your workplace? What is it going to take for you to share gospel with people at your school? Like, like, how much, do you, how much do you love them to where you would bring this message of hope, this message of love to them? Oh, my goodness. But how much do you not care for them that you would have this hope and not share it? And not share it. Oh, my goodness. Acts 11. Let's go here. And uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Acts 11, beginning at verse 19. It says now. Somebody shout now. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that was in chapter 7, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Did you catch that? So some, even after all of this, they still just talking to people like them. Verse 20, some of them, however, somebody shout however. Thank God, some of them had some sense. However, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to where? Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Watch this. Now, they're doing what Jesus commanded. Watch what the next verse says. Oh, somebody somebody needs to get this. Like when you really do what he tells you to do, watch what happens. (laughs) Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. And what? A great number. That doesn't sound like adding. That sounds like multiplying. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Watch this. News about it traveled so quickly that it reached Jerusalem. The same people who didn't want the gospel being shared with them. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. In other words, they're saying, go check that out. We don't trust it. What are they doing over there? (laughs) Can I just put my own little thing on it? When he arrived, watch that. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, watch this, this is Barnabas, he was glad and encouraged them out. Now, this is the same Barnabas that when they didn't trust Paul and they disqualified Paul because of his past, it was Barnabas who spoke up for Paul in Acts 9. It was Barnabas who said, y'all need to allow this brother to use his gift. Y'all need to allow, watch this, This this is that Barnabas. And he, he encouraged them. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't call them into a courtroom. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Thank God for Barnabas. Thank God for the son of encouragement. Thank God for some people that got some sense. He was a good man, full of the, uh, faith, uh, Holy Spirit and the faith, and a great number. There he goes again, a great number. Somebody shout a great number. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Watch what happens next because it's really important. Then, verse 25, then Barnabas uh, went to Tarsus. What? Hold up. They didn't send you from Tarsus, Barnabas. They sent you from where? Jerusalem. So why on earth are you going to Tarsus, which is just a part of Asia Minor? It's not Jerusalem. I'll tell you why. To look for Saul. To look for the one they had rejected. To look for the one that they didn't affirm. Oh, y'all watch where this is going. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He didn't go back to Jerusalem to give his report. God forgive me for saying this. But he knew there were some knuckleheads in Jerusalem. That didn't get it and wouldn't have known how to handle this emerging church that was growing in Antioch. And so he went and found a high capacity, multi-ethnic, multilingual person who could help him lead this ministry and watch what happens. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul together met with the church and taught what? What they teach? One or two people? Oh, no, they taught a what? A great number of people. Watch this. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Wait a minute. They weren't called Christians in Jerusalem? They weren't called Christians in the place where the the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost? Why weren't they called Christians there? That's where we're going to unpack as we close. Are you with me? This is mind-blowing to me. We are halfway through the book of Acts before Luke feels confident that he can say the emerging church understood that the gospel was for everybody. Now, contextually, you got to understand where, where Antioch is. Antioch is kind of sandwiched between the east and the west. Um, and, and Antioch is kind of this crossroads. It's, so imagine that L.A. and New York are like the two largest cities in the U.S. Uh, Chicago is like the third. And so Antioch is like the third largest city next to Alexandria and some of the other cities of that particular time. It became like this leading center uh, for Christianity where it became kind of the springboard for, for this new Jesus movement. So there were Jews there who had fled from Jerusalem them. There were there were people who were Gentiles that were there all around. And so imagine this is a place where people go to get things and then they go back out, right? Like this is not necessarily always a place where people stay. It is a place where they come for things and then they go back out. Is anybody getting this? Because God called us to be sent, what, to different groups of people with a clear mission and message empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he needs a place that can be an incubator for living out this sent life. And although great things happened in Jerusalem, that was not the place where this happened. It was Antioch. So let me give you three things about this this church that I think are significant, and I believe we have to uh, live this out in our context here at Mission House. Number one, they were wish- they were missional. I think it's interesting that the name of your church is Mission House, right? Uh, did you know that the first church to donate col- uh, to collect donations for those in need beyond its walls? Was the church in Antioch? Uh, furthermore, it was not the homogeneous church in Jerusalem, but the multi-ethnic church at Antioch that first mobilizes people to be sent out as missionaries to the world as re- as a response to the Great Commission. Um, like this didn't happen in Jerusalem, but it happens in Antioch. They were they were a multi-ethnic congregation that considered it essential uh, to send people out. It was not just a program; it was their life. Are y'all with me? So they, they weren't just sending people out. They were going back to their families. Are you with me? We're going to get to that in a minute. So God is moving all around us. He's moving in places like uh, Asia and the Middle East. He's moving in Central and South America. He's moving on the continent of, of Africa. God is moving in the here, near, hard, and far and hard places. But you got to understand, like, sometimes God's going to send you to people, and sometimes God's going to send people to you. Did you know that the U.S. is the third largest unreached people group in the world? this place. And for a long time, we were the place that was sending people people out. Now we've become the third largest unreached people group. Think about how many people don't know Jesus in this neighborhood, in this city. There's a lot of people, right? And so we have a responsibility. Now, in order to do that, you got to be intentional. Let me tell you a story real quick. So um, recently, I, I said to my wife, babe, we got to get away. We, we just got to get away. We got five kids, now, the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. We were obedient. Come on, say amen, somebody. We got five kids. But you know, when you got five kids, sometimes you need to get away. Come on, say amen. Like, you guys, baby, we're going to get away. We got the, the mountains a few hours here, the, the, the beach. Of, we're going to go to the mountains. So I said, baby, we're going to go to the mountains. And guess what? I, I mapped it out. I, I mapped it out, y'all. I, I found a place downtown Asheville where there were like five Uh, consignment shops and walking distance. Let the women say amen. And I said, baby, I said, baby, we're going to get down there on a Friday evening. We're going to have a good dinner. We're going to have a good dinner. We're going to hang out that Friday night. We're going to wake up Saturday morning. We're going to get us a great breakfast, a breakfast we can walk to. And then you just tell me where you want to go shop. I got the money right here. This is the budget we're working with. And she was like, I can work with that. I can work with that. And so we're going to the consignment shops. And I said, baby, when you go in and you try something on, I'm not going to be on my cell phone, I'm going to wait outside the door patiently so I can give you some good feedback. Come on, let the women say amen. And she would go out and come back in. And she said, baby, you're not going to find something you know, baby, this ain't about me, it's all about you. Y'all you know, hear what I'm saying? And so we get in the car and we go to some more consignment shops and we're on our way home and she reaches over, she grabs my hand and I can tell that look in her eye, one of the things she wanted to say to me was, thank you. And the next thing she wanted to say to me was, I can't wait till we get home. Come on, say amen, somebody.
1: Hallelujah.
0: But that wouldn't have happened, watch this, if I was not intentional about knowing what she likes and knowing what fills her tank. Is anybody getting this? Now, it wouldn't have been that exciting had I said we're going to go down to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings and we're going to watch an MMA fight for two hours and we're going to eat chicken wings. That would not have been exciting. That would have been torture for my wife. Come on, say amen. Like some of y'all might have loved that, but my wife was like, "Uh uh-uh, not for me. And so what I'm saying to you is being missional is being intentional. It's being intentional. It's understanding people's culture. It's understanding their their, their joys, their pains, their their, their 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 sorrows. It's understanding all of the things that are happening in their life and loving them right where they are. Early church was missional. Not only were they missional, they were multi ethnic. Uh, Cyprus was an island in the Mediterranean Sea, and Cyrene, Cyrene is a city on the North African coast, which is modern day Libya. Niger was in West Africa. Manayan was from Palestine. Paul is from Tarsus, which is a part of Asia Minor. Uh, early church planters and believers reading this book would have clearly understood what Luke's point was in telling us where these people were from. He's saying we have to empower diverse leaders. So why did this church care so much about the world? They care so much about the world because they reflected the world. Now, do I believe there's room for ethnic-specific things? Absolutely. Do I believe there's room and the value in the black church and Hispanic churches and Asian churches and Native churches? Absolutely. But I do also believe that there's a need for a multi-ethnic paradigm for all of us. I believe there's a reason why we have uh, language-specific ministries as well, but we all need to have a multi-ethnic paradigm. Uh, Ephesians 2 says this is a race, uh, ethnicity, a culture transcending gospel. Not erasing, come on, say amen, not erasing, but a culture, race, ethnicity transcending gospel. This is bigger than all that man-made stuff. This is this is big, bigger than even all the biological stuff. Now, it, it's not that those histories and those realities aren't important. They feed into how we are intentional. Come on, say amen. amen. But they should never trump the gospel. Amen. And what was happening in this text in Jerusalem, uh, even wh- if you go back to the Hellenistic Jews, where, where they were trying to figure out uh, how to feed people, right, and some people were being left out. Did you know that what happened in that context is basically them saying, like, we're not going to feed you because you're a different culture. The church. And so the people came together, they prayed, and they raised up leaders who were Hellenistic leaders, right? These were leaders who were culturally relevant to that group of people, and they said, you know what? They are not going to look over these people because they are part of that group. Are y'all getting this? Like, this was happening in the early church. Now, the reality is some of that stuff is still happening. 11 o'clock on Sunday is still the most segregated hour in our nation to this day. And it's partially because this is something God wants us to work through. Now, for many years, our definition of a multi-ethnic church has mostly been centered around church numbers, right? Uh, But we see in the early church that it's far more than that. For, For years, books like Divided by Faith, which is a great book, Uh, in 2000 gave us the number 20% as kind of this important turning point where churches uh, who have uh, more than 20% or less than 80% uh, of the majority are are becoming multi-ethnic churches and and what we've done though is we've allowed the culture and we've allowed our fears to to push us to a place where we have remained mono-ethnic. Somebody say ouch. Doing this kind of work is hard. 'Cause you got to deal with other people's lives. Come on, say amen. Amen. You got to deal with other people's politics. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. You got to deal with other people's values. And the early church says this is this this gospel transcends all of that. And I want I want you to know you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to move into relationship with people beyond all those things you got to be intentional to understand what the, how they matter, but you have to press past those things to see something deeper. Now, let me, let me share this definition of a multi-ethnic church, and uh, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more next week. But uh, a healthy multi-ethnic church, watch this, it's not just numbers. A healthy multi-ethnic church is one in which men and women of ethnic and economic diversity, watch this, walk, work, and worship together, God together, as one. Why? To advance a credible witness of God's love for all people. What was so amazing about this church in Antioch is people were coming together who don't normally come together. Men and women were coming together. That didn't usually happen. Poor and rich were coming together. That didn't usually happen. Jew and Gentile were coming together. That show sure enough didn't happen. Come on, say amen. And when you're in the South, black people and white people coming together, that don't normally happen. Unless we working, unless we at school where we got to go. Come on, say amen. That don't happen where you choose to go. See, church becomes a place you choose. Are you with me? So it becomes a credible witness of God's love for all people. We, Our credibility becomes questioned when we don't live this out. What kind of gospel and God do you serve that keeps us separate? Oh, I'm not going to go there too long. Uh, renew, reconcile, and redeem broken relationships, both individual and collective. Establish equitable systems. Somebody say systems it's not just about the personal relationships you got to deal with the systems you got to deal with power that's where we're going next week you got to deal with the leadership and the authority and the governance and oversight within the organization and then they champion justice which is something you do very well here you champion justice mercy and compassion in their community and then they embrace the tension of sound theological reflection lament and applicational relevance in an increasingly complex intersectional society that is what a healthy multi-ethnic church looks like. But to do all that stuff, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. To do all that stuff, you're going to have to be willing to die to yourself. You got to be willing to love people that you sometimes don't like. Um, But then they were multiplying. Over and over you hear that Phrase A great number came to the faith, a great number that were disciples. Barnabas knew he needed a high capacity lady, a person of leadership uh, to, to, to lead this emerging church. He knew that Paul's blend of Jewish blood and Roman citizenship gave him the insights to minister to those in the marketplace. Are you multiplying? Like, are you sharing your faith with somebody else? Who are the two or three people that you're pouring into regularly? And how are you encouraging them to pour into somebody else? Right. Like what we're doing should be multiplying what we're doing should actually have a great number of people coming to the faith, a great number, a great number. And when that doesn't happen, it's an indicator that somehow we've gotten stumped somewhere in the process. Now, I'm not talking about now. hear me closely because I said this the last time I was here. I'm not talking about the fact that everybody comes to your church. Mission House, I don't believe, is designed to be a, a mega church, but it's supposed to have a mega mission. I don't believe it's designed to be a mega church. You're not positioned that way. You're not going to have 5,000, 7,000, 12,000 people. At least right now, that's not how you're built. But you are built to have a mega mission. You are built to multiply in the marketplace. You are built to meet, meet people in the public square. You are built to transform this community through justice and love. Are you with me? You are built for that. And we should see a great number of people coming to the faith outside these walls. They may never walk into this building but your mission is to go where they are and you come here and you get equipped and you go out and do it some more and and you you bless people and you love people and you lead people to Jesus watch this when when Philip when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch did you notice he didn't say after he baptized him, come to my church and be one of my, uh, be on my board? He didn't say, you know, you got a ministry for children, come and lead our children's ministry. He didn't say, you know what, I heard your voice when you were praying. You got a great voice. Why don't you come lead our worship team? He didn't say that. He sent him off because he knew the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that caused him to go to him is the same Holy Spirit that will keep him wherever he sent him. And he released him to go back to the place where he served, back to the palace where he led. And he was supposed to make disciples there. That's what Mission House is supposed to do. Are y'all, are y'all hearing this? So is, are you multiplying? So let me tell you this last story and then I'm done. Um, so there's a story of um, this janitor who was in a high school. And um, he kept running into a problem. Kept going to the girls' bathroom. And on the mirror in the girl's bathroom, he just kept seeing lipstick. Over and 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 over again. Lipstick. And he went to the principal, he said, I don't know why. Like every time I go in about three o'clock in the afternoon, the the, the mirror is covered with like different colors of lipstick. And so the principal steps in, he calls all the girls together, he says, ladies, um, what I want to tell you today is how the janitor cleans the mirror. He said um, he takes his mop, and he he puts the mop in the toilet to get what might be seemingly clean water. And he takes that mop, and with the excess water, he douses the mirror. And he gets it really clean, and he scrubs, you know, kind of like you do on the front of your cars, you know, with the little squeegee. He does that with the mop from the toilet. And then he takes his squeegee and he, you know, gets the excess water off the mirror. And by this time, the girls' mouths are on the floor. And he says to the girls, girls, will we have any more problems with lipstick on mirrors? And every girl in the room said, absolutely not. Not. Because now, when they walk in that bathroom and they see that mirror, the only thing they think about is toilet and toilet water. (laughs) What's my point? When you think about your job description, when you think about Acts 1 6 through 8, I want you to see it totally different. That you are called to be sent, but you are sent to different groups of people with a clear mission and message, empowered. By the Holy Spirit, and you're not supposed to have a lake mentality. You're supposed to have a river mentality. Moving, going, loving, sharing, being challenged every single day. And so, are you going to be like me in that living room with my Snuggie? (laughs) Or are you going to live the adventure? of being led by the Holy Spirit and the places that you're not even prepared to go to. And places where people are not always going to receive you. And sometimes they're not even going to like you and you're not even going to like them. But Jonah, you got to go to the city. Come on, say amen. amen. I'm dealing with something right now where it's like, God, for real, for real. Do you want me to say that? For real, for real? Do you want me to do that? God, God, that's gonna cost me something. And then he said to me, what did it cost me? It'll never cost you that. It'll never cost you that. And so my prayers to you is it would be a terrible thing to know and understand Jesus's last words and not take them seriously. To know and understand Jesus's last words. And they not be an integral part of your life and your ministry. When you look at this text again, I pray that you never, ever see it the same. I pray that you see that you are to live sent to different groups of people, clear mission and message, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Please stand. Please stand. Father, God, you know the anointing. You know that your word does not return void, but it will accomplish the thing whereinto into it has been sent. You know what we're all wrestling with, individually and collectively, as you call us to live sent. And God, I pray that whatever work in our hearts needs to happen, that you would move by your spirit, that you would sober us right now, that we would hear your voice and that we would have the courage to respond to you in obedience. God, give us courage. Give us courage to step out of our comfort zones. God, give us patience. Give give us patience with people who sometimes do stuff that's just silly, that's just ignorant, that's just not, not healthy, but you want us to love them through it. You want us to stand with them. You want us to encourage them because, God, there was a time when we did ignorant, silly, stupid stuff too. So, God, whatever it is you want us to do is we're sent to different groups of people with a clear mission and message empowered by your spirit. God, would you, would you do the work in us? Would you prepare the way? Would you do the work in them, God, so that they're open to this gospel, they're open to this message that you've given us? And, God, I pray, I pray, I pray that we do not have a lake mentality. I pray that we have a river mentality. And I pray, God, that the the kingdom force you've called us into, that it will advance and ultimately that you will be glorified. It's in the matchless name of Jesus
1: we pray. Let somebody shout amen. 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 Oh, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Pastor you did not understand who you are and what you are called to do, you got it now. Amen. Amen. And I'm gonna leave that there. I'm gonna leave that there. That is good. And it's also good for those of you that uh, have been missing Bible lab. He is on point. This is on point. And he's really gone in and gone back and clarified some more things. Took us into the deep. And brought us back out, Amen? Amen, Amen. So these notes can tie in with what the notes that we've had. Amen. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I say, anybody got anything? Is just on your heart that has been said today. Any feedback? Any feedback? Everybody is still meditating. You're still chewing? Chew it good. Don't choke. Chew it. (laughs) Amen. Chew it. Amen. We thank you so much for that. We thank you. We cannot wait for next Sunday. We coming ready. Amen. Amen. Get your highlighters, your pen. We see now what we in for, right? Get a bigger piece of paper than I had. Amen. Amen. Take your notes. And then those of you that take notes, let's go home and Look at that again. Let's digest that again. Let's keep eating that. That's our mission. That's our call. I saw so much of Mission House in those words. Amen. It makes sense now. We're not meant to be a mega church, but we got a mega mission. If I don't get, that's, because sometimes we can look at numbers and we'd be like, what's going on? Amen. It's not meant. Amen. It's not meant. Amen. And he broke that down when he said, y'all won't have enough coffee. Y'all won't have enough parking. <laughs> Amen. Real. Come on. It makes sense. Like, you know, you out. winning ain't going Amen. It makes sense. But this is the season that we're in. Amen. Amen. But we still got a call. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to have to go look at that again. Amen. Amen. So I thank God for Facebook Live. So you can look at it over and over and over again. Amen. Amen. At this time, do we have any announcements?
2: Good morning. morning. I'm April Muhammad, and today is August 11th, 2019, and this is Mission House Announcements. Join us this Tuesday for Bible Lab at 6.30 p.m. here at Mission House, where we continue studying the book of Acts. On August 17th at 7 p.m., Day Crew Management presents the Pop-Up Tour. This is featuring Demi Day, also known as the Little Rapper That Could. Admission is free with a suggested donation of $5. The show will also feature v Sharpree and our very own Meek. Please come out and support and share that on all social media platforms on August 24th at 7.30 p.m. here at Mission House will be our next Fire Nights. Fire Nights for the new members here today, or our guests, is a culture night where we celebrate and showcase local artists and their work such as rap, comedy, poetry, songs, storytelling, spoken word, and more. You can come share your fire or be inspired, and we are going to support Meek in her recent production where she was in The Wiz with Piedmont Players, So this month, our theme will be The Wiz. You can come dressed as your favorite character from the classic movie, The Wiz, and we will be giving out prizes for that. On Tuesday, August 27th at 6.30 p.m., we will host a bi-monthly discussion on the book by Ibram Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist. A description of that book to give you some insight is quoted. The only way to undo racism is to consistently identify and describe it and then dismantle it." End quote. You can order your book today to be prepared for our first discussion. You can follow up with Pastor Anthony Smith to do that. We're also calling our missioners who are our planners and ideas and people to come out to our Nance Planning Gathering. It will be planning out and mapping out the next six months at Mission House. This will be Saturday, August, the 31st at 9am to 12 noon. Areas that will be covered will be our holidays like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, our Black History Month, our Mission Kids and Youth, special community events, baptisms, and all our gold team projects. If you'd like to attend, please confirm with Pastor Anthony Smith for Tony Cook Smith. At this time, that is all our announcements, and thank you again for attending Mission House.
1: to conduct a voter registration as well.